Christos Anisti. Christ is risen. All right. Okay, so continuing with the theme for the church at home. It's a very relevant topic because these days the family is under attack, as you all know, not just from a standpoint of divorces and, and challenges from uh, the youth going astray, but also the very institution of the concept of marriage as a, as a church institution is being challenged. So it's very important for us to kind of redefine and reestablish our, our tradition of marriage and what it is for the last 2,000 years, right? And what it is, is it's a church institution, right? So it's a very relevant thing that the church gives birth to marriage. And so it, it is kind of relevant that marriage, there, therefore, and, and the family life should be like a small church um, in each of our homes. So what do we, why do we want a church at home? Firstly, because Christ promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So if you have a church at home, you know that the gates of hell will not prevail against the family as well. During my 40 days in Egypt, um, I asked God, you know, please, Lord, give me a message uh, to take back to the States for the service, being the young priest and all that. And so the one message I kept getting back and forth from four different monks, from four different monasteries, is about family and to focus on the family. It was really interesting that it wasn't about, oh, make sure to pray, make sure to go to liturgies, confession. They did mention all that, but top on their list was focus on the family, not just your family, but to remind people to focus on their family. Because family is the, the foundation of society. So as Mother Teresa once said, if you want to help society and make society better, then go back home and make your family better. And then that way you impact society. I sat with one specific anchorite. Um, I won't mention his name, but he was an anchorite for 50 years without seeing an individual. He lived alone for 50 years, and only recently he was starting to take visitors. And so he sat with us, uh, four new priests, and coincidentally an American author who was there present at the monastery. Uh, he kind of tagged along, and we went to his cell. And uh, I have pictures of him. Uh, we weren't supposed to take pictures, but somebody snagged a picture before he said that, so I figured we can keep it. So we have that picture. Um, and we asked him for a beneficial word. And his focus was, again, m mostly on family. And I'll summarize some of the notes we took, because he wouldn't let us tape uh, any of his lecture. But he, we did frantically take notes. And he, here's a few things that he said before we get into our talk today. Firstly, he said, the only true Christian is a Christian who praises. The only true Christian is a Christian who praises. The one who stands in front of God and praises and thanks Him for everything, doesn't ask Him for anything. I mean, a lot of people ask God for things, but the only true Christian is one who actually praises uh, God in His hymns. So praise the Lord every day, saying part of the praise or glorification as a family is important. Reading the Bible slowly a small part with understanding is better than reading more with no understanding. So it's better to take maybe a couple verses, is what he said, and maybe have a little discussion on it so that everyone understands. He says, so when your house, be, uh, your house will become a church because um, the Son of God, when you invite Him and you pray together as a family, when He comes, the angels come with Him, and it becomes a house of the angels, which is what the church is. So... Um, 
just like because you are a son or daughter of God, you should always talk to your father all the time. And you should go to your church with your... And he called with your wife, with your sister. So like your brother or sister. Because there will be a time when our husbands and wives are no longer our husbands and wives in heaven. But they will be like our brother and sister in heaven. So he, he used that word in his purity. He was mentioning that go with your wife, your sister to church. And so you should have that kind of, um, that, that purity. Uh, teach your children that God loves them, and also you should also love them and encourage them. When you pray together, Jesus will come so that the saints and angels will also come. Um, and he didn't allow me to take anything except one little thing that I'm going to share with you. It's, it's really cute before we get into our talk. Um, it was one little hymn that he said you should sing with your family. And then he told me to turn off the microphone. So, <laughs> so really cute. He's 92 years old. So he was barely able to walk, but he was living by himself in this really broken down cave um, in the middle of the desert. I mean, it was really nice that we got to see him. So. so when we look at the ideals of what a church is, so that we can say, okay, if we want to make our home the church, what ideals in the church then should we try to um, bring home. Um, I know sometimes in, our, in church those ideals are, always, are not always met, but let's pretend like the ideal church and the qualities of an ideal church, what, what are those qualities that we should bring home? So we'll talk about maybe nine points or so, and then hopefully with each of those nine points we can talk about some practical applications that we can try to implement at, there, at home. So first and foremost, what does a church do? The church, first and foremost, presents Christ in a very present and very real existence, right? It's not some theoretical or some sort of uh, philosophical presence of some deity, but they, the church encourages a real relationship and a real encounter with the creator of the universe in our lives, right? I mean, that's what the church tries to do for us. So all of the actions of the church has that game, so that one... When, when someone comes to church, feels that Christ in a very real way is present and that the church is fostering knowing Him, fostering developing a relationship with Him. And it's uh, not a servant-centered uh, church, right? It's not a priest-centered or servant-centered. It's not centered around politics that exist. We know a lot about today, what's going on with the gender neutrality laws that are passing. The church is not focused on that, although it encourages people to be involved. But inside the church, we're really focused on getting to know Christ. It's not centered around money. It's not centered around any of those things or politics, although sometimes it, it infiltrates, right? But really the core of the church is not about that. It's about knowing Christ um, and having that relationship. So what are these actions that the church does that we can try to bring home to our house? So here's like nine points or so. And then we'll, again, practice some practical. And then you guys can always chime in and raise your hand and, and join in with this discussion. So first one is the sacraments, right? The sacraments, the Eucharist, first among us who are baptized, the Eucharist, the Eucharist is a communion with Christ that brings Him to the center of our lives. 
and brings him into, in a very real way, not just symbolically, but in a very real way in our lives, in a way that it shapes our life and shapes our personalities, our uh, actions, and what kind of person we are, right? So, you know, we've heard people say, I don't feel like taking communion because I'm not a, I'm a sinner. I don't want to take communion. But the reality is, and this is what most of the church fathers say, is that the, the Eucharist is life-giving, and it's us sinners that need the Eucharist so that we can repent. So we get the Eucharist so that Christ can be in our life and that we can transform our life and, and live um, in a more holy way, right? So you, it's not the other way around. Don't wait till you're holy before you take communion, but take communion first. So we have a, a real responsibility for our family to go and take those uh, the, the Eucharist as often as possible. Um, and it's not just the parents. I've seen many kids and young adults uh, wake their parents up. So for us young adults and young children that are in the room that aren't married yet, feel free to wake up your parents. They can't argue. It's the one time they can't argue back with you. So wake them up and, and bring them to church. I've seen that many times. The second quality of a church is prayer. Does the church pray? Right? Of course, right? It's all about prayer. Um, what are some prayers that the church does? We know, of course, that Gbeya, the, the personal uh, prayers that we offer at church, the liturgy, of course, and we have multiple other books of uh, different types of prayer books. Um, we have the prayers of the fathers. And so the church teaches us to pray. So how do we pray every night after a long day with our family? Um, we heard some people like maybe oh, they're little, maybe they're shy to pray with the family, or maybe they don't want to. Uh, they're tired at the end of the day. Their mood is not in the right spot. It's hard to herd cats. It's like herding cats to come and pray at the end of the day. You know, as soon as you get one child, you bring the other one, and then the other child leaves, and then you try to bring that, and then while you're bringing them back, the other child leaves. So trying to herd them to pray together uh, can be challenging, right? But it's really essential. Um, so it's not burdensome. Maybe some practical steps for that is to read the Igbeya, maybe not the whole hour, maybe sections of the Igbeya every night uh, to start off. Maybe one psalm a night, one uh, one night pray the Trisigian, Holy God, Holy Mighty. Uh, another night pray the Creed, another night the Litanies. However much you feel is not burdensome to you and your family, that's a practical first step to uh, pray every night if we're not doing that. And it's easy and it becomes enjoyable. And uh, and then before you know it, the children will remind you, hey, we haven't prayed tonight, let's pray first, because they feel that sense of security uh, through prayer. Does that seem practical? So you don't have to start by reading the 12th hour every night, you know, with all the sun. Wake up, read the prime every morning. Uh, if that's too difficult, then at least read a little bit uh, together. So the third thing, and again, going back to what uh, this monk told us, is hymns and spiritual songs. And, and St. Paul in Ephesians says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but be understanding, and understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine and what, in much dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then also in Colossians, he said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 
in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So the Bible is clear that these spiritual songs bring an enjoyment to the spiritual life. It brings encouragement to the spiritual life. Everyone likes music. And so even when you have a bad voice, like myself, it's, it's good to still sing. And uh, it brings that joy and that refreshment in the spiritual life. So the church has lots of hymns, uh, hymn books. You have the liturgy book, Igbeya. You can pull out little songs from there. Um, the deacon service books, the, you know, the, uh, the, the book of uh, psalmodies. Uh, many books. You can ask Mina for those books, and uh, and he'll give you like little sections, and you can like sing with the family, small little portions of it, just to set the tone and and to give that encouragement. So spiritual songs is is important as well. Number four, reading and education. So Isaiah thirty three six says, "Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation." Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation. So, this is what the church teaches us, right? By, by understanding, we have stability in our life, right? Um, this is the understanding that God gives us, the heavenly understanding. That's why the, there's no liturgy that goes by without a reading or multiple readings of Scripture, right? So we read in... We read the St. Paul's epistles, the Catholic epistles, we read the liturgy, except in the 50 days we read the Senexarium, we read the book of Acts, uh, and then we have a, uh, a sermon by the priest. So it's, it's all about understanding and knowing more and getting deeper. So like that a piece of advice though, it's better to read less and understand more than try to read more like some people say read three chapters a night. That's not necessarily the case if you want to read a little bit. It's better with understanding with the family um, and then explain it to the children as well. Or maybe if you have older children, the children themselves can explain it and, and read it and, and come to you with uh, like a little explanation of what, what's happening. So scripture is central to our readings, countless books of the church fathers. Uh, we have YouTube videos now. So read one chapter a night, even... Um, dedicate the last half hour of the day, for example. I've heard one family do this. We, we're just trying to do that at our house, but um, like dedicate the last half hour of the day where everybody goes into a room and everyone reads their own book. So everybody, to, according to their level, we dedicate that reading and establish that habit of reading in the family and so that everybody's reading and, um, and it just becomes a habit after that. Oh, question. Yes. Oh, thumbs up. Okay. Glad you agree. Okay, so what else is in the church? We have, you know, these are things that are in the church that we're trying to bring home, right? The sacraments, prayer, hymns and spiritual songs, reading and education. These are important things, right? What is something in the church that we should have that we should bring to home? Christ himself says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So, we know that in a congregation, the love between the congregation is something that is ideal, right? And it exists most of the time, especially at St. Basil's. That's, that's all I've seen so far. But, um, you know, that's something that is a quality of an of a ideal church, is that there is love among the congregation. 
That is something that exists in the church. What does that mean? Well, that means sacrifice, it means giving, it means caring, genuine and sincere care for each other. Um, and when you see that in the church, you definitely should have it at home with the family, right? So that is a quality that to bring home. So sacrifice and, and giving, right? That's something that we could do. Uh, try this at home. Ask your children... When do you feel most loved? And we may be surprised at the answer. You know, when do you feel most loved? And just see what kind of answers they come back with. Um, and then foster that. Christ was generally concerned. If we look at Christ as our example, he listened to all and provided each with the appropriate answer, right? He was a leader that was generally concerned about those whom he cared about. This included fairness and impartiality among all they dealt with, listened to all their concerns, provided solutions to problems, and again, going back to partiality, even, you know, have you heard the phrase, par, um, perception is reality? Even when, it, even when there is no perception, some, uh, or even if there is no partiality in your heart, that you love everyone equally, all your children equally, the perception that there is partiality can be equally de devastating because that's their reality. That's how they see it. So you want to reinforce as much as you have the opportunity to that there is no partiality at home. Another way to show the love is forgiveness. God forgave Peter in the face of denial. He forgave the Jews and the Romans while on the cross. He forgave all. Um, he was always pressing us to look ahead and to forget, forget about the past. Let's look at the future. Let's start a new beginning starting now. As St. Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. No matter, okay, what happened, it happened. Now how do we move forward? What are the best steps for moving forward? And it gives that hope and that reassurance to the children, also to the parents. Always be willing to have a fresh start uh, in our families. So, that was the fifth one, love between the congregation. It has the forgiveness, the giving, the sacrifice, and the genuine concern among the family. And ask the children, when do you feel most loved? And see what their answer is. So, number six. The church has, um, if you look at any corporation, for example, they say... In any corporation, one of the things they teach you uh, in, corporate, in the corporate world is if you want to be promoted, you have to train your replacement. Has anyone ever heard that before in the, in the, in the world? I, I see a lot of nodding. You want to be promoted? I'd be happy to promote, promote you. Mentor your replacement. So you have to be willing to train and to mentor your replacement. And the church does that. An ideal church will train. So the deacons who are up there, superstar deacons, they're always training the younger generation, right? So that when those superstars leave or move or get married and go or go to college, there's someone there to take their place, right? The heads of service, you know, the Sunday school teachers, they're always mentoring. Uh, even the priests are always mentoring. Mentoring is a, like a quality in a, an ideal church that always exists. Without mentoring, that's lacking in the church, right? You always have to be training that next generation. Um, we might have seen opposites to that in the church, right? Where, you know, you might have seen a board that's been a board for, 
you know, 20 years with no mentoring or in vice, you know, in other servants as well. But we should always be training, every aspect of our church should be training that next generation involving our replacements. What they say, um, so a mentor must be a person of integrity with values to match the action. So who is a mentor? And how? To, and then we'll talk about how to implement this at home. A mentor is somebody who has integrity. They walk the walk, not just talk the talk, right? Their actions match their words. Um, they maintain their beliefs and actions even under extreme pressure. Um, Pope Carolus said a really nice quote. He said, those who do not repent after seeing your actions will not repent after hearing your words. Actions speak a lot louder than words. We, we all know that. And so when, when we look at Christ ourself, uh, his self, that, you know, as, a, as an example, Christ always had this mentoring open door policy that allowed, uh, the woman at the well to talk to him and allowed the disciples to come to him and ask questions. Any, and, um, and all, of, you know, the, the Pharisees asked him questions. He always responded, right? And he, his responses were always to the point, right? He explained ideas when asked. Um, so he always had that open door policy and always was willing to mentor and always had time for the, the people. And as I'm saying these, we can think of ways to implement in the family. So he developed those who would continue the service after he was gone. He developed who? The 12 disciples and the 70 apostles and all those who followed him. He did not jealously keep his knowledge and wisdom because it was his blanket, security blanket, but he openly shared it with his disciples. God did that for us, right? In his mercy and love for us, he attributes many of his own qualities to us. For example, he calls us lights of the world. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, etc., right? But who is the light of the world? It's Christ who is the light of the world. He says, uh, who, who is the good shepherd? He is the good shepherd, right? But then he tells Peter, shepherd my flock. So he gives that quality to certain people. He even persuades us to save others, like in James 5.20. He who turns a sinner from the error of his way will cover a multitude of sins. Uh, and will save a soul. So, but who is the true Savior? He is the Savior. We save through Him. So even if we're involved, we save. Other virtues like humility, wisdom, power, peace, courage, love, all, all these characteristics have their source in Him. He shares it freely. So He is a mentor that truly does impart His own qualities to His followers. He had no hidden agenda, but openly proclaimed His intentions. Um, that's another quality of a leader and a mentor, is that he's transparent with those who's he mentoring, right? No hidden agenda. He also inspires, right? St. Augustine has a really nice quote. He goes, and this is really for Sunday school teachers, but also as parents as well, that when we try to teach, we have to, the responsibility of teachers is to educate and to animate. To educate and to animate. So it's not enough to just give the knowledge, but we have to animate them, to inspire them, to follow through with what they've learned, right? To They offer that inspiration. Christ is very inspirational for us, right? He motivates us. He refreshes us on a daily basis to live the Christian life. Even though we fall and stumble 70 times, 7 times a day, He picks us up again. He dusts us off and says, okay, don't worry about the past. Let's move forward. 
And that's what a mentor does. So how do we implement that in the family? Is mentoring then an important part if we we're supposed to bring the church home? Is mentoring an important quality? Absolutely. But what does that take? That takes a little bit of time. It takes that open door policy. It takes, um, it takes time to spend with the children to mentor them. What does that mean? We come home from ti- work tired, right? It's 6, 7 p.m. or we're barely making it home after a long commute. We, you know, we, we eat something. We, we, be- we go on our phone for the next few, you know, maybe another hour. And then before you know it, it's 8.30. Oh, let's go, kids. Time to get to sleep. And then it's a challenge to get them to bed. And before you know it, the day's gone. And you, we've spent no time mentoring. I know this really well, by the way. Because <laughs> it was just a few months ago for me. So <laughs> mentoring is challenging, right? Because it does take that time to spend with the, the children, right? You have to dedicate certain time. And it doesn't just happen by accident. It takes that active, like you got to force the issue to actually graft in a certain time every day for the youth and for yourself. Questions so far? Does that make sense? Is it too difficult? Just even baby steps, you know, a little bit? Number seven, what is another quality of the church that we want to bring home? To, to the home church. Peace. So an ideal church. Ideal. There's a lot of peace in the church, right? We um, we go in the church and we like, wow, this is so peaceful, right? The deacons are not shouting, you know. The priests aren't shouting at the people. Um, we're not telling people to be quiet in Sunday schools. Everything's peaceful, right? And it's just a peaceful environment, and nothing, you know. We leave all of our problems at the door of the church, or better yet, we put them at the altar, and then we forget about it. And we just focus on that peaceful relationship we have with Christ. We've all felt glimpses of that maybe in our experiences over the years at church. But I know sometimes that peace isn't always there. But that's the ideal, right? We want to bring that peace that we have tasted sometime in our past. We want to bring that home at home, right? So let's look at our Lord first of all. Christ, He rose above petty issues. Issues that were not important. Issues that were silly in the scheme of things that were important to other people, he rose above them, right? Politics. People were so concerned with politics at the time of Christ, right? What about the Romans? What about if we did this, the Romans will kill us? What about the Jews at the time? Did Christ care about that? What about the money that we need to make for our economy in the temple? Did Christ care about that? He didn't care about that. He rose above those issues. Um... And in fact, he said, do not think that I come to bring peace on the earth, but I come to bring peace but a sword. What that means is he came to bring the, the truth no matter what the cost, right? And that is the true source of peace. When the apostles asked about the fate of the Roman rule, he didn't even answer. I mean, after spending three years with Christ, after the resurrection, even after the resurrection, they still were thinking before the Pentecost, so they still didn't have the Holy Spirit inside of them to the degree that we have now. They were asking, what about the Romans? Are you now going to take care of those Romans? They said, don't worry about that right now. Just go get the uh, Pentecost in one week. You'll, in 10 days, you'll have it. And um, then we'll talk you know, about more important matters. And so um, he rose above those petty issues. 
Sometimes, though, our patience is short after a long day at work, and especially if things haven't gone well at work. Um, but we have to learn to what's called com- compart- I can pronounce this. compartmentalize. Have you ever heard that word before? Is that, is that easy to do? It was always challenging for me, but some people did it. I find women do it better than men. I don't know why, but would you agree? I don't know. Um, huh? Is opposite? Oh, really? Okay. So com- compartmentalize. That means works problems belong at work. Home problems belong at home. Church belongs in church. And each one has its own compartment. And when you're at home, you're living in the present and you're focusing on the present. And you leave the other issues outside. Is that hard? I agree it's hard. <laughs> but to some degree, we can, we can practice that. And we can be successful and over practice, we get better and better at it. But, um, but yeah, it is challenging. I agree. But when we do that, we can now focus on these positive things. Instead of fighting against the negative things, we can now focus on developing the positive things that we've talked about, the hymns, the singing, the reading, the Bible, the, uh, the peace in our house, right? So we come home, we're challenged, we're shouting at the kids, the kids are shouting back, we're fighting, you know, we're fighting with the spouse, the spouses are fighting, you know, where's the peace? You know, the, these are things that we want to bring home, is that peace that, of Christ. As, who is our peace? Christ is our peace. And when we bring Christ close to home, we find that the natural result is peace. St. Cyril of Alexandria has a really nice quote. He says, Wherever Christ is present, tranquility of spirit will surely follow. After all, being at peace with one another and with God should be understood to be the fountain and beginning of every good thing, for He is our peace. So, being at peace with one another and with God should be understood to be the fountain and beginning of every good thing, for He is our peace. But shouting at home threatens that peace, um, whether with our spouse or with our children. We want to try to kind of keep that voice down and, uh, and the shouting down. Right? I know it's hard. You, know. you can chime in and say that's impossible. You, know, you can tell me if it's impossible or not, we can discuss. But so far, so good? Are all these qualities in the church that we could bring home? Even a little bit? Okay. The eighth thing is leadership. Is there leadership in the church? Very organized leadership, right? We have the Pope, we have the bishops, we have the Metropolitans, we have the Hegumens, we have the priests, we have the deacons, we have the Sunday school teachers. All of them are leaders to some degree, right? We have leadership. And it's for the sake of... um, you know, steering the church in a certain direction. Not just by the priest, but by all. Everybody has a leadership role in the church. Um, and why is that? Because sometimes it's important to take corrective action. If we see something that's going in the wrong direction, we can take corrective action, as Christ was able to do. Um, he solved problems when people were hungry uh, and had no food. He fed them. When the temple was being dishonored, he grabbed a whip of cords, and he got everybody out of there pretty quick, right? When a child is dying, he healed him. When a person was possessed, he exercised the demon. When weather was out of control, he calmed the weather. He was solving every kind of problem. He showed that strength and that leadership. 
if there isn't something working in our lives and in our families, uh, we need to show that leadership to take that corrective action. Abuna this morning spoke about um, TV and our phones, right? And social, we talked in our group discussion today, we talked about uh, some of the challenges of social media, especially with the youth and the cyberbullying that occurs. So when we see that happening, you know, maybe it's impossible to get rid of our phone completely or very difficult, but maybe we can stop by saying no social media for a while. Let's just stop social media for a month. Uh, Facebook, uh, Pope Tuedros, it was interesting. You might have heard in October of 2018, he said he just stopped his Facebook account. He counseled the bishops to do the same. He said, because Facebook is a waste of life and of time. It's a waste of life and time. I'm not a fan of Facebook. I never had an account. Um, I was talked into creating one, though, uh, in my transit in Paris. So I created one, but I have yet to post anything. So we'll see how long that lasts. But, <laughs> but um, it is... It is a challenge, but you know we have to show that leadership in our families to maybe limit TV, limit, limit um, the computer. Other things too, like friendships. When our kids are younger especially, um, and you see them with the wrong types of friends, you know, being their friend, being the child's friend is not as primary as getting that other friend out of their life, even though however painful that could be. Because that friend can damage that relationship with their and influence their child much more than you can. So it's very important to monitor the, the friendships that your children have because it says, um, "Be." I'm trying to remember the verse, uh, do not be deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. The word part, do not be deceived, because it's by the time you realize it, it's too late. So do not be, dece de be deceived. Before it's too late, Remember, evil company corrupts good habits. So show that leadership and we take that corrective action. We almost have to turn that type A personality on and take charge of the situation um, and take the corrective action. That's what a leader does. We also have to be humble enough to know that if something we've implemented that isn't working, that we just take some corrective action there too. So it's important to be a solid pillar that is unshaken by events and offers every assurance uh, that no matter what the issue is, that it will be resolved and we, we take the corrective action. A leader also does not show off. We often show off in front of our kids and we brag in front of our kids to the, to the point of suppressing our own children, right? Because I'm the parent and I have that title and therefore I'm going to suppress. It's because I'm your dad and I said so kind of thing, right? Without explaining why. Um, we look at Christ ourselves that said, um, how many times did... Christ walk on water that we know of. Just once, right? It might have been mentioned more than once, but it's only one instance, right? Right? But how many times did he ride on a boat? Many times. Did he go around, uh, I don't need the boat, I'm just going to walk. Right? He didn't just go around walking on water, right? He did it for a purpose, and that was it, right? He didn't, his goal was not to show off or anything like that. Even though he could have. He didn't need, he didn't even need to walk. I mean, he could have just went there, Right? It's amazing, I like this quote by Harry Truman, he's our 33rd president. It's amazing what you can accomplish if you do not care who gets the credit. And also, um, the Coca-Cola CEO in 1926 said, um, 
There is no limit to what a man can achieve as long as he doesn't care who gets the credit. So it's not about credit. It's not about suppressing. It's about the goal of improving the lives of yourself and also of your family. So the practical side of things, you know, don't just say because you're a parent. If you can't really explain why we're doing something, or because we're Egyptian, or because we're um, the, the, the mom, or because you know we're not those kind of people, we really have to dive deeper. Maybe we don't know why we're doing something, and if we don't know why, we should know why, because our child, our children will challenge why, you know, and we should have an answer. We we and believe me, we are on such firm foundations that we, there's nothing we do that of meaning that doesn't have a reason why, and that reason is a very lofty and majestic reason. It's a very good reason. So don't be afraid of diving deeper and having a, a good answer. And the last point, number nine. Yes, going back, question. When our kids compare themselves to the, our kids in school, they doing this stuff, they doing this stuff, and they're not doing it, different. Why are we doing that like them? Yeah. Here, some, sometimes we have the answer. Like we are different, we we raised in Egypt a different way, and here we keep our traditional, we keep ourselves yeah. different way. Mm -hmm. so, so. But our our okay, yeah, and my parents said that to me, right? But um, I think the more powerful that's not going to be a good enough reason when the children grow up, because well, why would you come to America? Is their response right? Um, the true reason is that we're Christian, right? The the wonderful traditions in in Christian Egypt. Not the majority Muslim Egypt, but the Christian Egypt, is that those are Christian values. And Christian values are universal, right? You can apply them everywhere. Christian values are applied here in America, it's applied in Europe, it's applied in Russia. And in fact, it's the only religion, if you really look at geographically, it's the only religion that's spread equally all across the world. And the only place where it's not is where it started. It's really interesting. All of Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Islam, where it started, is that's where it's most fluent. Christianity, it's the vice versa. right? Where it started, it's no longer there, hardly. right? But all over the world, it's there equally. Um, like It's well-balanced everywhere. right? So Christianity, is, you know, we say our church is the Catholic church. What does Catholic mean? With a small c. Not capital C. <laughs> what does small c mean? Universal. For all people, our message is for all people, for all times, for all cultures, for from the beginning to the end of ages, right? And that is a firm foundation. If they can take that message and make it part of their identity, they'll be able to stand outside on their own two feet. But when we say we did it because of culture or because I'm your parent or any of those other shallow reasons, they go outside, it falls apart. It doesn't it's not a firm foundation? Is that? I hope that answers the question. So. There are wonderful things in, in Egypt, don't get me wrong, but that's it's not because it's in Egypt, it's because Christianity is among the people there, and that Christianity is here. That's the reason. It's not because of our race, it's not because of the ge geography, you know, right? Okay. D did you want to add something? Sorry. I was going to say, it's also I think people appreciate uh, scripture that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And the whole movement around out of this world. So, to the degree that they know other Christian friends, like you're saying, that people who share similar values, 
because it's really, really hard to ask a child to be that isolated when they think that they're the only one in the world, the only one fasting, the only one that's yeah. the only one of that identity yeah. when they feel like they can connect, and that's why the church and the youth are so important as, and fellowship as they grow up, that they yeah. feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. I don't know if everyone heard that, but in essence... Friendships that are more in line with Christian uh, ideals is is the best thing if we can somehow pull that off. I know growing up, uh, there was no... Now, I can ask the kids, do you have any Coptic people in your school? Chances are yes, right? When I grew up, I was the only one on campus that was Coptic, right? There was no other... Uh, only one? Yeah, I mean... But now, chances are there's maybe 10, you know, because they all go to the same church, live in the same area. But I think... There are very good people outside, you know, that that make good friends. Um, I've had very loyal, very ideal friends that were not Coptic, you know, and it's possible to find those friends, yeah. We have to be picky. Um, we have to teach our kids to be picky with friendships because it's very damaging if, if a mistake is done. Any other questions? Okay, so the last thing, and I wanted to finish with a reading from Pope Shenouda, and we kind of touched this on during our um, our last workshop, is that... Leading a family or being involved in a family, whether we're a youth, whether we're a parent or a child or a cousin or whatever, or a nephew or uncle, it is a service. And it has to have that spirit of service. So our responsibility towards our family, at our church at home, is a service. And so taking care of a family is a service that we're all called to. Uh, when we all stand before God and give an account of our ministry. I'd like to spend... Uh, have you? Have, has anyone ever read... Um, maybe, Daniel, we can pull up that book. Has anyone ever read Release of the Spirit by Pope Shenouda? Can you raise your hand? I just want to... So maybe we have five or six people. Very beautiful book. I, I really encourage you to read it. Very easy to read. One of the chapters... Um, I read this 20 years ago and only recently... Somebody uh, reminded me to read it, and I was like, wow, I can't remember. I can't believe I forgot this. It was really beautiful. But it's very powerful, and it's unforgiving. It's unrelenting. It's like you're going to feel like a, a dog has bit onto you and is not willing to let go. Okay? So be prepared for this. Okay? Be prepared for a pit bull biting you that will not let go until he's done. Right? So this is about a story about Pope Shenouda, who was relaxing and feeling good about his service. He was like, ah, oh, I'm really a good servant. And so he starts to relax in a chair, and we're not sure if this is a real uh, vision that he has, or if it's a fake vision. Some people say it's real. I asked the monk where Pope Shenouda was staying if it was real. He said, no, it's probably just a, uh, a contemplation. We're not sure what Pope Shenouda really experienced here, but it's beneficial nonetheless, Okay. And you guys know, have you read this before? Has anybody, yeah, okay, it's very powerful, right? So I wanted to spend uh, maybe the last 15 minutes reading it, and if there's any discussion, if there's no discussion, that's fine. But it really talks about how ministry is important. Our, we are all called to service, no matter what our service is, even our family. And in fact, this touches on family as a service, okay? But it requires us to focus, and if we can pull up, I can email you the hyperlink. If you want to follow along on your phone right now, uh, otherwise we can, we can, Danny was successful here pulling it up on the screen. And so we'll take turns reading. It's going to take about 15 minutes, like 13 pages.
So can we take turns reading? And uh, let's try to follow along, okay? Because this, I, I guarantee it'll be beneficial. Okay? We want to thank you so much for listening to St. Basil's podcast. We hope that you have gained spiritually from our remarkable speakers, and we appreciate your support towards this podcast. St. Basil American Coptic Orthodox Church is looking to purchase a home, and we would love for you to be a part of our community. We are looking to raise funds towards this novel mission, Orthodoxy in an American Context within the San Diego area. You may donate online through our website, www.stbasil.net. That's www.stbasil.net. Or click on the link below when it will take you to our donations page. You may also mail in your contribution at the address located on our website. We thank you for any contribution, and may our Lord Jesus Christ always bless your heart and home.